Welcome to Pacific Drift with John and myself, Jason. This is a podcast about communities and cultures and languages in the Pacific. Each week, we give ourselves a particular topic, and then we let loose and research individually whatever it is that we find. Today, we are talking about Tahiti and the Society Islands in general. John? What did you find out this week? I found out some wild stuff. Tahiti is a great place. I've uh, I've been there. Yeah, w- when did when did you go? I was like 14. <laughs> Just on holiday? Yeah, yeah, with with my mum and my sister. It was a it was a dope place. How, how, <laughs> it was dope. <laughs> it was dope. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's uh that's how Captain Cook had described it as well. <laughs> he said it's a dope place. In his journal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you look through his journals, he says Society Islands, dope. That's right. Um, that's how I would have described it too. Hmm. Uh, I Yeah, we went for a little holiday. It was lovely, and it's as tropical and beautiful as you think it's going to be. Um, uh, how long were you there? I think a couple of weeks, maybe. Really? Yeah, quite a while. A little mission. Wow. Um, now, tell us the details. Okay, so the Society Islands are an archipelago yep. um, in... Basically, the center of the Pacific. Yep. And they include islands like Tahiti. Tahiti is just an island in this archipelago. And yep. also, um, another familiar island is Bora Bora. Bora Bora. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, just, just a little interesting fact that I'd like to throw out here. Is, okay. Uh, it's a French territory. Yeah. And I don't really understand what the their designation is, what their status is, but it is a French territory. French. Okay. Yeah. So the national language in Tahiti yep. is French. It's the only <laughs> the only national language. So So Tahitian no. not a national language. Wow. Yeah. The disrespect. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's outrageous. Yeah. Um I did find out a bit about Tahitian. Um, I was surprised. I mean, there's quite a lot of Tahitians in Tahiti. Like, is it 70%? I, uh, or yeah, around I think, that number? Yeah, yeah, I think it's around 70%. I think that the Polynesian population of the society islands in general is something like 75%. But the actual number of Tahitians, ethnic Tahitians yep. who speak Tahitian, is quite low, like 37, mm. so a third of ethnic Tahitians actually speak it. Well, we have to imagine that that's due to something like the national, the only national language being <laughs> French, right? I mean, yeah, it's rather sad. Yeah. Um, numbers, uh, so around 185,000 Tahitians live there. So actually quite large for a, a small group of islands. Yeah. 68,000 speakers of Tahitian. Um, the language, Polynesian. Yep. Apparently. Is that right? Yeah, it's a Polynesian language. It's a Polynesian yeah. language. Um, now, tell me a bit more about the language itself. Do you know anything? Did you find anything? About Tahitian? Yeah. Well, I think it has a lot of the characteristics of um, a lot of the other Polynesian languages that it's related to in, in the East. Yep. Right, so I believe that it's verb initial. Yep. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. So it the word order is verb, subject, object. Yep. I don't know a whole lot beyond that. Um, the thing I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, this Bora Bora that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Tahitian doesn't actually have the B sound. 
Ah, oh, right. In the language. Yeah. So by the sounds of it, the, the people who rocked up and asked, what's that island over there? They said, uh, it's Pora Pora. Mm. And they heard... Misheard it. B instead of P. So it's actually Pora Pora. Ah, oh, interesting. Mm, kind of wild. Mm. Um, I thought there was something quite interesting about cognates. Yeah. What are cognates? So cognates are words that we find across languages that are um, that are the same. Yeah. And they're not accidentally the same. They are um, they are there because they were inherited from a common ancestor. Um, can you give us an example? Is there is there any common ones like? Do you mean in Polynesian? I or? guess so. Yeah. Why not? Well, uh, you tell me. Well, I always assumed. Waka or Vaka. Yep. Is that one? Yep. So, it's so just, what do those mean? It's just a boat. Yeah. Right? So it's just a, a word that has a very similar equivalent across mm-hmm. all these languages. Yeah. Well, Tahitian has something slightly weird. Yeah. So for certain cognates that are the same across all these different languages, all the Polynesian languages, Tahitian doesn't have it for particular words. So for example, the word to um, means to stand. Okay. Across different um, Polynesian languages. Uh-huh. But when we get to Tahitian, yeah. uh, it's something totally different. It's Tia. Oh. And there is a reason for this. It's not just some random mistake here. Basically, when there's a, a very important leader in Tahiti uh, that has a name, obviously they have names, mm-hmm. um, and that name includes a word, a common word, um, you're not allowed to say that common word anymore. Because of the fact that they are the leader. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's like it's now taboo to say that. So it's just a taboo avoidance. Yeah. Uh-huh. And one of the, the, the famous leaders was um, this guy called Tu. Um, he had a complicated name, but this, the main short bit was Tu. So what they did is instead of saying Tu for the word stand, they thought up a new one. And when he died, that just... Stuck around. Because when a leader dies, they can then use the leader's name again. Usually, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this time, no. They stuck with it. And there's quite a few examples of this. There's a a, a bloke called Pomer, which means night cough. Um, Like to cough at night? Yeah. Okay. And so... um, the, the two words, pot and mare, mm-hmm. um, got banned for a bit. Yeah. Couldn't say them. Taboo, because of the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, now, po stayed. But mare has been replaced, like, completely by the word hotter. Wow, so totally different. Totally gone. And in Tahitian, the word mare is no longer part of the vocabulary. Okay. Wild. That is wild. So, query. Yep. What do they call the leader then if they are avoiding their actual name? I don't know. <laughs> do, is it is it just like some sort of modification like that? Do yeah, you? I don't know whether it's um, whether it's a, they use the nickname mm-hmm. or whether they use the name and they're just not allowed to use those words for other things. Oh, oh I see. So you're not allowed to use mare for cough. I uh, I think that this kind of taboo avoidance is actually quite common in a lot of places in the Pacific, yeah. not only with respect to leaders, but also sometimes, you know, family members or in-laws or, or things like that, depending on, just, depending on the region. That you avoid the, the name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Tell me, so you mentioned old Cook, James Cook. Yeah. 
and his description of the island as dope. Um, tell me a bit more about Cook. What was the uh, the history behind that contact? Well, Cook was one of these early visitors to Tahiti and to the Society Islands, and I believe he's the one who um, had given that name, the Society Islands. Yeah. And uh, if you read through the, the journals, uh, you'll find that Tahiti was one of these favored spots yeah. for Cook and the crew. It's kind of like they would go off and um, do their exploring. Yeah. And um, whenever they had had enough of somewhere, the, they would go, oh, let's just go back to Tahiti. <laughs> so they kind of used it as, as, a, as a home base. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were, I, I think, very comfortable there. They, they really enjoyed the place. Yeah, yeah. I believe the whole Society Island name thing was a bit ambiguous. It, no one's quite sure of why it's called Society. Um, two stories. Yeah. One was whether um, it was named just because of the island's like being close together, being a group, a society. Um, but there was some discussion of uh, the funding for the trip came from the Royal Society. The Royal Society, yeah. In, uh, in England. Um, do you have any idea which one it was? I think that Cook had said in his journals the reason for it, and it was because of the, the, the close relationship, both geographically and, I think, socially, yeah. between the islands. And this also comes out in, in his journals where they talk about, um, you know, visits to and from all of these these other islands in the archipelago. Yeah. And so he called them the Society Islands because of that reason. And they, so the Royal, this society. the Royal Society was just like, well, we'll claim it as ours. Uh, like, maybe, I don't know. Um, did you see that there was the Tahiti Island and then there was the close by, probably the next biggest one, is called Moria. Okay. Um, and that's where I spent most of my time. Really? When I was in Tahiti, yeah. Oh, okay. So um, it was on a different island. On a, yeah. It's beautiful. It has one loop. There's just one road around uh -huh. the edge of the island. And um, they have markers every mile. And it's quite weird. You, you, you have a spot, like the landing spot, mm -hmm. and then you have markers that go all the way up. So one, two, three, four, five. And then at the midpoint, they start going back down. Down. And so there's, uh -oh. there's these two one-mile markers on either side of the road. Mm. Um, now, the, the biggest thing I remember about this place was um, every morning at about 4 a.m., this bloody cockerel would wake us up and it would crow and it would crow and we were there and we were jet-lagged and I'd get up and I'd chase it away. And then I'd try and get back to sleep and then it would come back and it would start crowing again. And that is my um, everlasting memory of Tahiti. Wow. Um, but what was quite cool is when we arrived on the island, um, they gave us flour. They, well, they gave us a, like a, a ring of flowers. That, like a lay. That, yeah, and mm -hmm. put them over our head. It was kind of nice. Um, but they always um, they also gave us a flower to put in your, your ear. Mm -hmm. Now, have you heard about this? Yeah, I think that this is a, maybe a, a tradition that, that reaches across different Polynesian oh, really? groups. It's, it's like basically like Tinder in real life with a flower. Okay. So you pop your flower behind one of your ears and depending on the ear mm -hmm. depends on whether you're single or taken. Do you know which is which? Um, I have it somewhere, um, but right now I can't find it. Okay, that's fine. 
I think it's left is taken. I mean, it's a 50-50 guess right now. So it's a, a very um, uh, public display of your status. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is a great way to break up with someone because <laughs> you could just like roll on into town, have a little bit of a party. You got your, your um, flower in your left ear which means you're taken, and then you, you get fed up at the end of the night and you just whip your flower out and put it into your right <laughs> ear. It's like the perfect way of not having to deal with the awkwardness. Yeah. Straight up perfect. Yeah. Well, I had seen that uh, in addition to, you know, the flowers of yeah. Tahiti, there's another really important plant. Yeah. And that is vanilla. Uh-huh. So... Vanilla pods that grow there are some of the, um, the the best in the world. And so vanilla is a huge export yeah. for Tahiti. Yeah. I don't know whether they suffer the vanilla piracy. What's the that, vanilla piracy? Um, well, it's something that we find in a lot of these places in the Pacific, um, but where you get a lot of vanilla being grown. Yeah. And what are essentially pirates <laughs> that come along and steal people's vanilla <laughs> and um, and sell it on, on the market. You'd be so, like, embarrassed if you were a pirate and you were being all like, oh, I'm a pirate. And then um, someone says, well, you know, like, have you been, like, killing people and getting gold and stuff like that? And you're like, no, I just stole some vanilla. Well, I think it's a pretty lucrative Business, oh, really? So I don't know how embarrassed they would actually be, but it's also, it, it is a pretty treacherous <laughs> business and it's quite rude that people are stealing <laughs> other people's vanilla. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. You got all your vanilla and someone takes it. Yeah. Well, it, that, that is, that's somebody's <laughs> livelihood there. Um, so Tahiti is known for the vanilla thing? I, I don't know whether you get vanilla piracy there, but it is. Yeah. Uh, a, a big center of vanilla production. Uh, they also do pearls. Oh, yeah. yeah like that's a lot right. of them. Yeah. Um, I think that I'd be more proud as a pirate if I was stealing pearls, just putting it out there, hmm. than vanilla. You know, it sounds a bit more dramatic and exciting. I think they have a pearl museum. Do they? As well. I think I'd read that, yeah. I, um, I remember when I was there, when I was 14... And we would uh, go around the markets uh-huh. to some of the, like, pearl shops. And then you sift through the pearls to find which pearl you want to buy. Really? And they, depending on the color and the, like, luster or something. Some, yeah, yeah. You know. Like some other the, metric. Yeah, yeah, all the different textures and all the different things and how round it is and all that. Depends on the value or increases the value of the pearl. So you get a pearl. Um, but two different pearls can be very different prices if they're, you know, one's awkward shaped and one's perfectly round. Uh, Did they also have black pearls there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite dramatic. Yeah, so it's quite an industry then. Yeah. Just saying, it'd be a better thing to be stealing if you're a pirate. Well, let's, <laughs> let's not encourage that. You'd be an average pirate, just, <laughs> just saying. Okay. You'd be there for the vanilla. Hmm. I'd be there for the pearls. There is one thing about you that does sort of suit the pirate um, story. The tattoos. You've got quite a lot of tattoos. Um, and Tahiti is a good place to um, be talking about tattoos. Is, is it a traditional 
something. Yes. Well, tattooing itself has been, you know, been done for thousands of years. It's not, um, it's not specifically Tahitian or anything. Yeah, yeah. But the word tattoo was brought back by Cook, back to Europe to... Um, um, so I think it's tatal, mm-hmm. um, and it's been obviously modified to, or anglicized to mm-hmm. tattoo. Um, and while he was there, um, he was with um, the botanist dude. Do you know his name? No. Banks, Joseph Banks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And while, uh, while Banks was there, he actually got tattooed. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he got a, a traditional, I assume, traditional tattoo. I didn't find where he got it or what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not expecting him to have got like a massive sleeve or something, you know, cool. Um, I wonder if he got something really tacky like a tramp stamp. Joseph <laughs> Banks with a tramp stamp. Anyway, he got this uh, Tahitian tattoo um, and went back to England. Yeah. And um, they brought the word tattoo back Mm -hmm. and um it became quite fashionable and that is where the whole sailor um tattoo thing came from in england so they all um all the sailors it became quite a um, popular thing to get tattoos yeah and uh, i actually read it it just it wasn't just this uh this sailor thing it became quite a like a class thing so lots of the um the higher ups in british society we're getting tattoos at that time. Yeah, but this is um, this is where this originated. You're, you're saying well, for sailors. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the tattooing itself wasn't completely new. Uh huh. But um, the word tattoo came back from Cook, and then that the fact that his crew got these tattoos and Joseph Banks got this tattoo, um, and that's where the whole sailor tattoo thing came from. Oh, wow. I had no idea that that's, you know, that was uh, the export yeah. at the time. Do you do you have any sailor tattoos? You uh, do, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So you are actually a product of, of Joseph Banks' tramp stamp. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, s- speaking of these kinds of things that came out of Tahiti, yeah. right? We also have, I mean... In Cook's voyages, yeah. we have Tupaya, right, who was the Tahitian navigator. Oh, I didn't know about for, this. Yeah, for Cook, Yeah, uh, for that crew. A massively important character uh, in, in those journeys. So d- he went with Cook to other places. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And to England. What? Yeah. Of what, what did he, what was he doing? Like just. He was the navigator for for no, the ship. Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's really appropriate to, you know, to give this mad respect to Tupaya. Wow. Wait, navigator or translator? Uh, both. I both? think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a legend. Yeah. So I mean, he he played several different roles on the ship, and uh, like I said, was a just an incredibly important individual. Wow. And because I guess the languages of the Pacific have those things like the cognates, yeah, yeah. Um, it would be really useful. That's right, yeah. So even though there might not have been, um, you know, a perfect understanding, um, Tupaya's translation um, was enough in order to facilitate communication. Wow. Yeah. So, John, what else did you discover about Tahiti? Well, I actually um, found something quite interesting about bows and arrows. 
I always thought that there were no bows and arrows in the Pacific, mainly because I've lived in New Zealand, and in New Zealand there doesn't seem to be any evidence for it. So there's no physical remnants of bows, and there's no um, traditions with bows mentioned. So I always thought that was the end of it. But in Tahiti, there was this use of bows and arrows. Really? But it's not for what you'd think it would be for. Okay. So they weren't shooting, like, animals or people. Hunting, no. No, no. They'd have these bows, and it was very, like, um, it was for the top-tier people. Uh-huh. And they would get out their bows and their arrows, and they would um, see how far you could shoot your arrow. So it was a competition. It was a competition. It was athletics. Yeah, and it wasn't like, can you shoot it most accurately? It was just Distance. who can get it the furthest. Oh, okay. Um, and what was quite curious about the whole bow thing is that um, the word for bow or shoot is uh, some sort of cognate across um, the Pacific languages. Uh-huh. So we got fana or pana or ana across different languages, and, and each one either means bow or shoot or hunt even. So it's that kind of, um, it's one of these slight cognates across all these languages. What is slightly odd is obviously in Maori culture, they don't have bows and arrows, but they do have that equivalent word, and it basically means bow-shaped. Oh, so okay. the word for eyebrows is is a similar thing because it's bow-shaped. Hmm. So it's some sort of evidence that at some point um, they would have had that word. They just never um, had the, or or now they never have the um, the bows themselves. Hmm. Interesting. Curious. I guess one more thing that we can raise here is yep. this um, this contentious issue yep. of the contact between Polynesians and South Americans, Native South Americans. Because quite a long way away from each other, right? Yeah, if we're talking about an area like Tahiti, we're yep. talking about what looks like the dead center of the Pacific. <laughs> yeah. Really far from anything aside from the other islands that are in the Pacific. So right on the edge we're talking is Peru and that South America. Yeah, that would be the um, the eastern yeah. edge. And um, there have been claims yeah. that there was historical contact between Polynesian peoples. Is this, is this to do with the potato, right? The sweet potato? I believe so, yeah. I, there's a, a couple of pieces of evidence that people have, have used to draw this connection. Yeah. But um, the, the, the sweet potato is, is one. So the sweet potato is definitely found in Peru, right? Yep. And they're saying that because it's also found in Tahiti, there must have been contact. Yeah, and I think that the um, the genetics indicates that uh-huh. its source was yeah. South America and not from the West. Now, from what I understand about um, the Polynesian groups doing their long-distance um, trips, yeah. is that it wasn't really a trip. It was, let's go somewhere. Like yeah, you. I don't believe that they were in the habit of returning. Yeah. Because it'd be a massive trip. Yeah, yeah. These were incredible journeys yeah. that people would set out on across the Pacific. Yeah. Um, often not knowing what was ahead of them. Yeah. Um, and journeys that involved uh, these incredible, incredible navigational 
skills yeah. and and seafaring skills and and i mean that's how um the pacific islands all became colonized by these people yeah you'd go out in your enormous boat mm-hmm. uh with your families and some other people and you would go and find the next island yeah yeah so anybody who's seen moana yeah knows exactly what, what the, <laughs> the story is yeah in general i i just don't think recall there being any discussion of people returning because uh, let's let's imagine let's let's do the um the the scenario the tahitian people they jump on their boat they race across to peru and they think all right let's have some of these nice tasting potatoes mm-hmm. these are jolly tasty let's go home yeah let's take a few of them and just go home. We're done. That would indeed be an incredible journey. It would be quite a significant journey just for a potato that's sweet. Yeah. I mean, what do we know? <laughs> We're not really experts no. in anything. No. So um, uh, we can't really say um, much about <laughs> that purported contact. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we'll just maybe leave it open-ended. Let's leave it open-ended. I like that. Having been really scathing with the whole idea, (laughs) we'll just let it go. (laughs) Yeah. Not our expertise. Not our problem. Fantastic. Well, I feel like we've had a pretty um, good discussion on Tahiti. Yeah. So we've talked about quite a few things today, including the languages uh, of the region uh, we've talked about vanilla. We've talked about John's holiday. Um, we've talked about pearls. Yep. And um, a little bit about South America and sweet potatoes. <laughs> so you've been listening to The Pacific Drift. We'd like to thank our production team, including our man Tim. Artwork by Becky and Jason, or Jason and Becky. Music by Jazar, Out of School. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait until next time.